welcome to Wildlife Matters, a podcast from Dorset Wildlife Trust. Join us as we share news, articles and conversations, exploring all the work we do to protect wildlife and wild spaces here in our beautiful county of Dorset. As we air today's episode, we are in the middle of National Marine Week, a campaign across the country that highlights and celebrates the beauty and significance of our seas and marine wildlife here in the UK. And here on Dorset's Jurassic Coast, we are host to stunning coastline and wonderful marine wildlife, from rock pool creatures to large marine mammals, speciality seaweeds and coastal plants. So in today's episode, we head to the Wild Sea Centre at Kimmeridge Bay to join Marine Awareness Officer Julie Hatcher as she talks with BAFTA-winning cinematographer Doug Anderson. They talk about his astonishing breadth of work as a videographer capturing marine wildlife across the world for the BBC as well as Apple TV, Disney and Netflix. And they also discuss the dangers that threaten our marine creatures and our submarine landscapes. So let's join Julie now at the Wild Sea Centre. Following the airing of Wild Isles on BBC One earlier this year, I was lucky enough to talk to Doug Anderson and ask him a few questions about his astonishing career as one of the world's top underwater cameramen filming marine wildlife around the world. Doug's first major job was on the original Blue Planet series, which aired back in 2001. Since then, he's worked on other landmark wildlife programmes and films, including Deep Blue, Planet Earth, Frozen Planet, The Hunt, Our Planet and Blue Planet 2. And he's won a number of awards for his work, notably two BAFTAs and three Emmys for his cinematography. Doug was born in Glasgow and began his love of the underwater world in Arran, which is now home to Scotland's first no-take zone in Lamlash Bay. So hi Doug, thanks for being with us today. And my first question is, how did you feel about doing the Wild Isles series on British wildlife? Yeah, doing Wild Isles was, yeah, I mean, it was probably the toughest, air quotes, emotionally draining uh, experience of my professional life. I think I felt probably way too much responsibility for it um, being good. You know, like I know too many people that have been fighting for marine protection and trying to work out how they can, you know, try and restore some of our marine ecosystems. So I really wanted to, you know, try and film, make a good film, try and get enough diversity in there that's representative of some of the amazing nooks and crannies that are still holds, you know, like a reflection of what we used to have in the United Kingdom. And uh, yeah, that felt like a heavy burden at the time. Yeah, but uh, we had a great team and a really, really good team in the field, particularly in the field. And um, yeah, we just kept on, you know, kept on at it and kept trying to work it out. And in the end, we sort of managed to scratch our way over the line. (laughs) And the guys back in production, you know, almost despite uh, the difficulties that we had in the field, uh, managed, managed, I think, to pull together quite a a strong but traditional wildlife film uh, together. And and certainly the reaction to it has been great. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone really enjoyed it. Um, But it did highlight the decline of our marine wildlife here at home. What do you feel is the most urgent step in reversing its decline? Yeah, the 
the underwater life in, in the United Kingdom has taken an absolute beating in the last 40 years. Uh, where I'm from, West Coast of Scotland, main impacts have come from bottom-toed gear uh, and the worst offender of all of that. And the thing that really has destroyed that ecosystem uh, is the scallop dredge. So, yeah, I mean, the two things that I would do if I were in charge to try and initiate the recovery of, of the seabed are the two things that I would do to initiate the uh, the recovery of um, of the ecosystems, certainly in the west coast of Scotland, but probably you know, more widely in all the shallow water ecosystems or the continental on the continental shelf ecosystems, benthic ecosystems in the UK would be to to remove bottom-toed gear uh, or any heavy demersal gear from very, very large areas of our economic, you know, of our sea area. Um, it's not a good idea to put heavy gear on the seabed everywhere. And that's what we're doing just now, basically. Um, so, yeah, whether it's a three-mile limit or a six-mile limit, or whether it's very just very large MPAs where marine protected areas where heavy demersal gear does not hit the seabed, it doesn't really matter. Just don't do it. I just don't think we just can't carry on in a in a world where heavy demersal gear and all that horsepower just gets towed across the seabed uh, everywhere and all the time. Uh, it just doesn't work. The second thing is is. I really do believe in marine reserves. I mean, by marine reserves, I mean large areas where maybe up to, you know, somewhere in that 15, 20%, doesn't really matter, scientists sort of argue over the numbers, but just pretty decent sized areas where there is an exclusion to to all fishing. All the evidence is, is that when you have highly protected areas, and then well-managed fisheries outside them is that everyone benefits. Um, the fishing gets better in the places that are fished. And we have a better idea about how to manage the places that are fished because we actually have areas that are in a natural state. Um, highly protected marine areas like spillover, um, uh, larvae, and and also individual, you know, like a large through overcrowding spill over uh, animals into um, into areas that are fished um, and then highly protected marine areas have very large breeding stock which you know most of our commercial species and most species in general in the ocean have a planktonic phase and that large breeding stock basically is like a powerhouse for you know the recovery and recruitment of of important species and in places that are impacted upon. But most importantly, it, I think it just, like if I was, if there's one word that I think would just sum up for me why marine reserves work, it's resilience. You know, like the science is pointing very strongly at highly protected areas underwater or areas in a natural state underwater, more resistant to environmental change, and they also bounce back quicker. Uh, when that change happens. Uh, so these areas are basically make sure that we've done the best that we can do to protect areas that are fished as well. 
not only by and 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 in ways that we don't even understand you know this this is all stuff that's just should be taken on principle we don't need a scientific background on this we just need to decide that no matter where it is no matter what size it is no matter what location it is it doesn't matter these areas just are important uh, for that and that that resilience doesn't stop at a biological level it doesn't stop in the ecosystem it carries on onto land because you know like i've seen what like overfishing has done to communities in the west coast of scotland it rips the heart out of them there are no jobs you know like the you know do you know what i mean that's it's not a pretty picture in a lot of these places compared to what it was when there was the industry of fishing um before we broke it and and i just want to see that i want to see vibrant fishing communities with diverse catches and proud men and women doing what you know they were born to do and and uh, we're not going to have that until we recover this ecosystem we're not going to be anywhere close at close to it while we're scraping the seabed for the last vestiges of life it needs to be we need to have resilience we need to have a robust ecosystem that's producing lots of high quality protein for for people to catch and and for people to feel proud of you know like and that's and that's that resilience so that resilience bounces on into the into the communities bit of a rambling one but that's the way i feel about it yeah, absolutely. I agree. And is there a species or behaviour that you would really like to have filmed but just didn't make it into the final list for the programme? I think with wild owls, I think the, the thing that I would have loved to have covered would have been um, uh, anything to do with our faunal, um, like our rookery, you know, below the kelp line kind of faunal reefs, you know, like we didn't really get a good chance at doing... Um, uh, you know, dual anemones or plumos or those heavy kind of anemone-based habitats, you know, high-flow, high-energy habitats. Um, it's not that we didn't want to. I, we just got caught out in the end with... We were going to do it in the Sillies in the, East, in the Eastern Isles, and we just got caught out in the end with late summer storms. Um, so, yeah, I think that... I think if there was one thing I could change about the filming experience for Wild Isles, it would have been to make sure that we had our ducks in a row so that we could have covered that that earlier. But to be fair, you know, the majority of the the film was done through COVID and we had massive restrictions on where we could go. And, uh, yeah, we always knew the Sillies was going to be, you know, our hotspot for um, for Faunal Reef, that kind of like an enemy, dual enemy kind of reef. And, uh, yeah, but sadly, we just left it slightly too long. We're caught up with the weather. But, yeah, I mean... To be honest, you know, lots of the Wild Isles experience just felt like a start to me. The, the, um, you know, like the beginning of something, and and there was just so many stories out there that we left, uh, that we saw the edges of, you know, like or researched and and then left. And yeah, I'm just really looking forward to the next uh, twenty years of chipping away and covering as many of them as I can. So bearing that in mind. Will there be a series two of Wild Isles? Uh, no plans yet for series two on Wild Isles, but I'll be first in the queue to work on it if it does come up. So, Doug, where's your favourite location for diving in the British Isles and why? I think my favourite location uh, on um, Wild Isles is probably Shetland. Um, 
just the people working out there, the naturalist, Richard Shocksmith, Nick, you know, the, you know, Billy, they're just incredible, passionate and very experienced wildlife people. And, and Shetland is just an extraordinary place. I mean, amazing people generally, you know, like the Shetlanders are, are great ocean people and hardy as hell. And uh, the landscape up there was just, the under, the marine landscape up there was just extraordinary. You know, whether it was like hunting killer whales, you know, or diving on the horse muscle be- beds up in Haskasei Sound, it was, um, every day felt like a, a privilege in Shetland. And uh, it was a place I'd never been to, but it's certainly a place that I'll be going back to. And it just made me wonder, because you dive for work do you ever get to dive just for pleasure without your camera oh uh, yeah one of the great pleasures uh in the last uh few years has just been uh starting to explore the the ocean with my children uh finn and charlie uh, my boys are uh you know getting into free diving and uh spearfishing and surfing and finn's doing his scuba diving course this year and yeah those that really is just such a an amazing experience for me is to be able to start spending time exploring the ocean with with my children. Oh, that's wonderful. So which species or animal behaviour are you most proud of having captured and why? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's... A proud is the right word for it, but certainly it was very satisfying to go to Hawaii in uh, 2020 for uh, BBC One's The Mating Game and and uh, filmed the humpback key run there, mostly because everyone just told told us that there was nothing else to film, you know, like that there wasn't another bit to the heat run, that the heat run was just basically a bunch of humpback whales like crashing through the ocean, chasing a female very often. And um, and then it just petered out and that was it. It didn't seem to be, didn't seem to be a point to it. And I, and the team, you know, we just, we knew that that, that that couldn't be enough, you know, like this is a really, really expensive trip and it was a really important part of the, the film and it had to have the Y factor, you know, like it had to have the X factor in it. And uh, anyways, we went there and we worked it out. It was, um, we had a long time, we had like almost five weeks and, and towards the end of the trip, we were very in tune with the, the whales in Maui, you know, and what they were doing and at what time of day and what sort of conditions and we just followed and followed and followed. And so we followed the heat runs, which is basically these, you know, um, or they call them the competitive pods now, which is basically, you know, somewhere between like four and 20 male humpback whales chasing fast, what looks like chasing fast a female for no apparent reason. Uh, everyone just sort of assumes that it's something to do with courtship. But, you know, sometimes the females have got calves and sometimes they've not it's very confusing anyway on that one we just followed and followed and followed and we went past the bit where they you know the competition's over and the whales are basically just swimming you know like random in a in a sort of very loose pod and we followed and followed for hours and hours and and then in the end we noticed that they kept on stopping especially towards dusk and and then we would try and work out where the center of that was the big, there was big kind of stopped, kind of loosely stopped pod. And we got in on that and we found the female and she was static and the males were sort of all around her. And although it was like a small thing, it was amazing for me to see 
you know, see see that this is the end, you know, see part at least of the end game or the reason potentially for all of the bluster and bluff before, you know, hours beforehand, you know, like it really is all about this, this bit at the end, this static bit where she's in control and, and making the decisions and the males are sort of swimming, you know, like, you know, flies around a flame, you know, around her. And what, what the next bit of that is, you know, is just, it's conjecture, but it was, you know, whether it's she's giving birth and then I'm mating straight away or, you know, like, or perhaps she's just receptive and she's trying to make a decision. Uh, almost didn't matter. You know, it was the fact that we went there as a team, worked out, great team again, just fantastic. Uh, boat logistics, captain, great scientific backup, you know, like hugely supportive production staff and went there and worked it out and, and came back with something something very new from something that has been observed for pretty much daily for 30 years. And uh, yeah, that felt that felt really good. That sounds like an amazing experience. And Doug, do you have a favourite species? Yeah, species, I sort of have a love-hate relationship, I suppose, which is mostly love is killer whales. I've spent more time filming killer whales than uh, any other species. Uh, of a marine animal. Um, I think I've done about, I've done over 400 days of tracking killer whales. And uh, when it's going well, it feels like, it feels like the best job in the world. And when killer whale jobs are going badly, it feels like the worst. And yeah, but yeah, that's that's probably the species I have the most connection with killer whales. Fantastic. And you filmed all over the world. Which locations stick out in your memory? I think the the trips that stick out in my mind the most are um, probably in general the trips that I've had to the Antarctic, in particular a couple of trips that I did on, sort of back-to-back -back trips that I did on um, uh, the BBC series Frozen Planet, uh, Frozen Planet 1, which was, um, I did um, 10 weeks in McMurdo Station uh, diving under the sea ice there. In spring, which was extraordinary, 500 meter visibility, just amazing underwater landscape, great logistics, just driving out onto the sea ice every day and, you know, plunging through, getting into a hut and going through a six foot deep hole in the sea ice and just entering a world that I just couldn't have possibly imagined. It's, I felt like such a privilege. And, and secondly, the next trip I had on that series just came home for Christmas and then went straight back out doing um, uh, killer whales, wave washing down on the uh, on the Antarctic Peninsula. It had never been filmed before and uh, yeah, just brand new piece of behaviour, an apex predator killing in a completely different way and uh, had a great team and just the perfect team really, you know, boat, logistics, scientists and uh, we went down there and smashed it and, and that you know, like, I don't think I'll ever have, you know, like, I don't think I'll ever be at the, there's so few stories left on the, on the planet like that with very large animals. Um, uh, but yeah, just the whole, that whole trip was just like a, felt like a complete dream. So yeah, those would be my two trips. So bearing that in mind, what's top of your wish list for filming in the future? I think the main aim for me professionally moving forward is 
to start providing more of the images and the stories that uh, we need to allow the people that are sitting around tables trying to work out how we protect our ocean ecosystems and also the coastal communities, the people that rely on them, uh, yeah, moving forward. I mean, when you get, it's very difficult for, you know, politicians, industry and local communities to get together and work out what they're they're going to do when all three of them have got a very different idea about what that ecosystem looks like and, and how it works. Um, and that's what I would like to do is, is do wildlife stories that are about how ecosystems work, how marine reserves work. And um, so that when, when those people do sit down at the table, they've got more of a picture, more of a shared vision of what it is they're trying to protect. Thank you so much, Doug, for taking the time out to talk to me about your experiences and about your thoughts regarding the threats to marine wildlife and how we can reverse the ongoing decline. I know when you were in Dorset, you managed to fit in a snorkel in Kimmeridge Bay uh, and really enjoyed it. Since introducing our snorkel trail in the bay in 2007, it's become remarkably popular and helped to introduce lots of people to the wonders of British marine life. Kimmeridge Bay is, of course, part of the Purbeck Coast Marine Conservation Zone, following many years of work and campaigning by Dorset Wildlife Trust and our members, and part of the network of protected areas in the seas around the UK. And here at the Fine Foundation Wild Sea Centre on the shores of Kimmeridge Bay, we seek to engage visitors with the value of setting aside protected areas in the sea as a vital marine conservation measure, and we look forward to the introduction of highly protected marine areas by the government later this summer. So thanks again to Doug. It's been really interesting to get his perspective. Yes, and thank you to you both. Thank you, Julie, and to Doug. Really fascinating career. Such an incredible body of work so far that we've all enjoyed so much. Those sort of documentary films really do bring right into your living room the message of the current threat to our seas and marine wildlife. Here at Dorset Wildlife Trust, we have launched an urgent appeal for your support. We want to protect our seas and prevent further threat to our marine wildlife. It's hard to imagine, but if we don't act now, it's estimated that there could be more plastic in our seas than fish by 2050. Your donations will power work to stop plastic destroying our seas. It could provide equipment to help remove deadly litter from our coast or fund essential equipment to monitor the effects of pollution on our seals and other wildlife. To make your donation or to find out more, please visit our website, dorsetwildlifetrust.org.uk and click Appeal in the top right-hand corner. Your donation will help our seas survive and our marine wildlife thrive. Well, thank you again for listening and we do hope you join us again for another episode of Wildlife Matters.